Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And, of course, they have Junior Bergen T-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Colter, obviously, if people are traveling, you got to have them stay somewhere else, not with you. That's true even when COVID isn't going on, and especially now. So you send them out to the Wingate. We know that. That's obvious. What you might not know is about all the meeting space they have out there, convention space, and even personal office space, because God knows I can't stand being with you any much longer. I'm going out there. I'm going to lock up my own personal office at the Wingate. You can do the same thing. If you need a business space, whether it's for yourself personally or or you're just tired of doing Zoom meetings, you just want to see other humans, but you want to be socially distanced, the Wingate has great business meeting rooms. You can space out. They have all the hookups and technology you're going to need for any sort of meeting or presentation. Or if you're like Ryan, you just want to have a place where you can work in peace and quiet, the Wingate Inn also a great option for those that live and work around Western Montana and the city of Missoula. If you have anybody coming through town or you want to get your kids out of the house, Wingate also has awesome rooms, great business rates. The pool is back open. They've done a great job of making sure that's be safe for you and your family. The Wingate Inn, located in Missoula, it's an excellent option for business travelers, local business people, or anybody coming through the city of Missoula. Let the Wingate Inn make you feel at home even when you're not. Jets, Dolphins, that's the one I got circled this weekend. Let me at it. Clear the calendar. Give me some Jets, Dolphins, football. It's 2 Tell Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. Hope you are well. Thanks for being with us, letting us ride along with you. If you missed anything in hour number one, you can listen on the podcast. The 2 Tell Nuanas podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. Rate, review, subscribe. Check that out. We appreciate that. The uh, podcast available thanks to Blackfoot Communications. If you'd like to call, 361-3688 is the phone number. 361-3688, the phone number. You can also text that phone number. Text or uh, texted us off the podcast. Listens on the podcast and texted in after the fact. Question, what do you think would be the legacy of Michael Jordan and LeBron James if they had the exact same career but in reverse order? If LeBron had been first and then Michael Jordan after. An interesting question. We will not answer it now, but I thought an interesting question. 
Uh, so anyway, 361-3688, if you want to uh, call or text, you can do that. All guests join us via the Rankish Brothers RV phone line. And if you would like to listen live, you can do that on the World Wide Web, 1029ESPN.com. You get in the stream. The stream is available thanks to Opportunity Bank of Montana. Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. Coulter, about this time each and every Thursday, which normally is the first day of the NFL football weekend, though not this week as the Bills game was pushed back on account of the Bills game last week being pushed back on account of the Titans, if you see what what I'm doing here. The uh, Nonetheless, we will take a look at some of these games against the spread, where they're at, where we're moving. But obviously, the big news of the day in the NFL, Le'Veon Bell, after having been released ultimately by the New York Jets, is now being uh, expected to be signing with the Kansas City Chiefs, making the best offense. In, are, are they the best offense in football, the Chiefs? Yes. I mean, who would be the best offenses right now? Probably the Seahawks. The Seahawks, the Chiefs, the Packers. The Packers. But the Chiefs are the best of that bunch, I think, and uh, and they're better now. It, it, it's it is interesting. If there was one area where they could use another person, I mean, I suppose you could always say having a, another rotational or even starting offensive lineman is never going to be a bad thing. But from a skill position standpoint, if they got another wide receiver, it'd almost be like, well, what are we going to do with this guy? You know, barring injury, like well, how how are we going to work? you know, Jarvis Landry in, say, or if he came over, something like that. They need, they, they don't need, they can they could very much use a second high-end running back that can that can produce in a big way. And especially in the past catch game, like I think that Clyde, Clyde Edwards-Alaire has shown that he's a viable pass catcher as a running back, but I don't know that that's his strength. Le'Veon Bell is what he does, man. I mean, he's he's great however you get him, I think. Now, it, I'm not sure that he is. Recently, it would suggest that he isn't, but I am willing to put 99% of that on the organization, on the team, on the coach, on the New York Jets, and 1% of it, of it on Le'Veon Bell. Now, I know that he's been injured a couple times. He t- had a terrible injury when he was in Pittsburgh and was injured uh, a couple of different times, not so seriously, but it was out for some time with the New York Jets during his tenure there. But I think Le'Veon Bell has a chance to be uh, hugely productive, and especially in this system with this group of players and this head coach, it just seems like an obviously right choice, first of all, by him. If you can call your shot about where you want to go, this is the place you should go. And uh, and I think that, that everybody on the league is once again now on notice that the Chiefs are coming for you. Well, there's no question. I think that um, the what happened in Pittsburgh was so fascinating because you see Ben Roethlisberger has always been a little bit of a drama queen. But you remove the other dramatic members of that team, and Pittsburgh's got it rolling again. They look back to being the old Steelers. They're mm. back to their old identity. I think that when you're when you're uh, if you're going to hold out and do all this song and dance that Le'Veon Bell did, now you're going to sit well with Mike Tomlin. If you're going to be doing the look at me, making yourself the center of everything like Antonio Brown, Tomlin's just not putting up with that. And so getting those guys out of there, I think it's just, it's a totally different culture in Kansas City. Because of that, I think he'll be valued. I think he'll be used. I think Le'Veon Bell will be impactful, certainly. And I think that it's just yet another weapon. Um 
Uh, what a deal to revitalize his career like this. I can't believe that New York, I can't believe the Jets didn't get anything for him. It's amazing that they didn't. But part ways, the Jets are still the most dysfunctional team in the league. Now the Chiefs are even more dangerous. I totally agree with you. Um, the Chiefs are playing Buffalo, by the way. That's the game that was supposed to have been tonight. It will be Monday night now. They are a four-point favorite, but you got to believe that that number is climbing a little bit uh, after this. So if you wanted to get on the Chiefs, hopefully you've already done it because uh, they're they're just getting better. It is interesting that one of the teams that uh, it, it was it was reported that Le'Veon Bell was seriously considering was the Chiefs' opponent this week in the Buffalo Bills, and I wonder what that balance shift would look like if Le'Veon Bell all of a sudden became a Buffalo Bill. Now look, it's Thursday; they're playing Monday. How much can you just roll a guy out there? Now, he's an NFL veteran. He knows what he's doing, but it's still a new system and a new place no matter where you go. So, you know, how much can you expect out of him in in the first game that he's ever going to play with a, with a new team, changing it right here in the middle of the season? I don't know the answer to that. But uh, it would have been an interesting deal to think about him going to Buffalo and now, you know, teaming up with Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, if he's coming back. Mm-hmm. And having mm-hmm. that offense, which which sputtered, did not play well Tuesday. Now having you know maybe an infusion of some life with his arrival in, in Western New York. Now that doesn't look like it's going to happen. It's going the other way. And now the Bills' defense has a new headache that they got to worry about. Uh, in any case, Chiefs four point favorites over Buffalo. It's interesting. Both these teams lose. So somebody, one of these two teams, it's really good. I think both these teams are are excellent. Obviously, the the Chiefs. I think are. They, Put my feet to the fire. I think the Chiefs are probably the best team in football. One of them is going to have a two-game losing streak on their hands, right? Because they both lose this past week and now are playing each other. So uh, there you go with the Kansas City-Buffalo game Monday. Let's move up the list a little bit to some of these Sunday games, though, Coulter. The Atlanta Falcons and the Minnesota Vikings. Atlanta's 0-5. They have fired their coach, fired their general manager. Uh, Raheem Morris is the new head coach interim head coach of the Falcons. The Minnesota Vikings, meanwhile, are one and four. But in their last three, they've lost two games by a combined two points. Yeah. And have looked, you know, looked much better. Dalvin Cook's injury, I don't know where we're at with Dalvin Cook in terms of his availability for this game, we know. Questionable. Okay. Given his history, I would say that he's, I would say, unlikely to play this week. I just didn't like what I saw. When you talk about, it, you know, the immediate non-contact groin thing, like that's a significant strain. The good news is it doesn't sound like it's, it's, you know, really bad. It's not like an IR bad, but it ain't good, and I would be somewhat surprised if he's there. Uh, but I find this to be an intriguing game because neither of, these, neither of these teams are as bad as their record indicate. They both have actually quite a lot of talent, uh, and yet neither of them have been able to figure it out enough to actually – produce with the exception of one win for the Vikings Vikings four and a half point favorites what do you think about this football game well I think that you know I thought that um, the Texans standard to take a huge jump when they got rid of Bill O'Brien because you remove a uh, a common enemy from the locker room you remove mm-hmm. a toxic figure mm-hmm. it galvanizes guys it's not the case with Dan Quinn, though, right? I think that his players liked him a lot, and yeah. I don't think I think that the fundamental issue that the Falcons have is just their complete and utter inability to have the confidence to finish games, and I don't think that's fixed by making a move to a different coach. Yeah, I think that 
the Falcons, by and large, to me, have personnel issues more than anything else. I mean, the reason they're bad on defense is not an effort or uh, schematic or continuity issue. They just don't have very good players. (laughs) Right. That's a huge issue. Right. The thing about the Vikings is they are off to a horrific start. They have a ton of talent on offense. They have a ton of talent, period, but they have a ton of talent on offense, particularly... And they've really found their offensive groove the last well, three weeks. Well, so does Atlanta, though, right? I mean, they're bad defensively, but they yeah. should be they should be really good to very good offensively, yeah. and at times have been. Well, Julio's, Julio Jones has been hobbled yeah. pretty much the entire year. He's been non-productive after the first game. They're treating Calvin really like the number one, pretty much. Period, and that's part of that's because Julio's out, but also part of it's because. Calvin Ridley has really emerged as an absolutely outstanding receiver. Mm-hmm. Todd Gurley is a little banged up, too. Uh, he was listed as questionable coming into this game. So it is an interesting matchup because the Vikings, they're young and inexperienced on the secondaries, particularly at cornerback. And the Falcons, especially if Julio's a go, have an ability to stretch the field as well as anybody in the NFL. That said, I just... I. I think that Minnesota has figured it out offensively, and I don't think I think that Minnesota's gonna be able to run the ball effectively against pretty much everybody that they play for the remainder of their schedule, unless they're playing one of the elite teams. But I, I just think that Gary Kubiak, offensive coordinator, even if it isn't Dalvin Cook, it is Alexander Madison. I still think they'll be able to gap scheme some stuff up, and the Falcons just have a really hard time against the interior run game, anyways. So I just think the Vikings will be able to control the ball, and if you can control the ball. And all of a sudden, you don't put all the onus on Kirk Cousins to win you the game, and that's the best-case scenario for the Minnesota Vikings. handful of games this weekend that I find hugely intriguing, one of those very close, if not at the top of that list of intrigue for me, is an AFC North showdown between the Pittsburgh Steelers and, yes, the 4-1 and Cleveland Browns. And the Browns have gotten better each week and some of that I, I credit to coaching, and some of that I credit to learning when you have a new coach. What is this, the fourth offensive coordinator in three years for for Baker Mayfield? Yep. Uh, and so it's finally starting to work. It looks like it is working. They lost in horrific, awful, ugly, terrible fashion. I mean, it was it was truly awful in week one to Baltimore. They got back and got a win on a Thursday night against a bad Cincinnati team who they barely beat. Then they won the next week. I don't remember who, but another bad team that they did beat. Then they went out and beat the Dallas Cowboys, and you go, well, okay, but everybody's kind of beating the Cowboys right now, and the Cowboys' defense is bad, but they did go into Dallas. They were up 41-14 for crying out loud in the fourth quarter. The best team they've played this year other than Baltimore was Indianapolis last week. And I thought that that would be a a barometer game for Cleveland. Can they beat a team that I think is pretty good? And you know what? They did. And so I'm impressed with Cleveland right now. And they got it rolling a little bit. And they got personnel, man. I mean, every, you can talk to me all day about Kareem Hunt and Odell and 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 even Baker, whatever you want to do. And that's fine. That's all. That's all true. Like, I buy all those guys, Jarvis Landry. But talk to me about the defense, man. Talk to me about Denzel Ward, you know? Talk to me about the pass rush of this football team. Yeah, they're lead on the D-line, man. That's the number one part of their team that doesn't get enough credit. That's right. So I'm 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 all about this football team and and Miles Garrett, obviously, being the 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 leader of that. I mean, he's he's laugh out loud good. Leading the league in sacks right now. 
Uh, and that's with Aaron Donald getting four sacks last week. Miles Garrett still leading the league in sacks. Anyway, Pittsburgh, though, is lights out right now. I mean, their defense is so good. Claypool just shows up and has four touchdowns. You go, oh, so he went from Notre Dame to being an all-pro, and there was nothing in between. Just four or five weeks of football, and then all of a sudden, now he's the dude. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but this Pittsburgh team is really good. And I think a lot of people are starting to jump on the Pittsburgh to the Super Bowl type of bandwagon. I mean, I think I think a lot of people have replaced Baltimore with Pittsburgh as their second best team or best challenger to Kansas City in the entire AFC. And I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. I mean, what they are defensively and with the rejuvenation that we've seen on offense, this is a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous team. They are, by the way, a three-point favorite in this game. I'm amazed that it's only three. Um but I, I do like what Cleveland's doing. But this is the this is the, the prove-it game, right? I mean, Cleveland, you want to go beat some bad teams and then you want to beat some okay teams? Good. That's better than what you've been for most of your history. Are you going to be able to beat a, a great team, a really good team? I mean, if Cleveland wins this game, I don't care how it happens. I don't care if it's on a fluke call, bad fumble, whatever it is. If they win this football game 18-17 because of a bad call safety I'm going to give him all the credit in the world on Monday, but I don't think it's going to happen. Are you ready to readjust which division you think is the best division in football? It's mm, a good question. Is the AFC North the best division of football right now, just based on the performance of the team so far? Yeah, I'm not ready to, and there's two reasons why. Baltimore and Pittsburgh are rivaled only by Seattle in terms of how good they are division to division. So they have the two best teams like the highest end i'm still not sold on what cleveland is yet right it's better cleveland or arizona cleveland probably cleveland it's not probably it is cleveland. it's probably it's it is probably but it's, i'm gonna no, go it, with it's cleveland. no it's cleveland because cleveland could run the ball but arizona again, can't run the ball that's gonna kill them when they start playing when they play the above average to great teams arizona is their inability to run the ball between the tackles is gonna hurt them yeah but again, I, I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, well, but the worst team here is worse than the worst team there, so that's the better division. But Cincinnati is so is 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 just they're just awful. I know, but so San Francisco, but, given their injuries, I know, and that's the thing is that San Francisco is truly bad right now. I mean, but but they're they're not going to stay bad, right? I mean, they're going to well, get I don't guys. Know. Back. I mean, if the Jimmy Garoppolo drama is what it is, and you've got to roll with one of those <laughs> other two guys, then they're not better than the Bengals because Bur- Joe Burrow's way better. Well, than, no, no, than no. Nick Mullins. Well, he's way better than Jimmy Garoppolo. That's true. <laughs> I mean, Good it doesn't point. matter who's there. So I, I'm not I'm not prepared to sell sell San Francisco on down the river. But the AFC North is it's uh, you know it's the real deal, no question about it. You like Pittsburgh in this game, though, right? I just like Pittsburgh. Period, man. Yeah. Pittsburgh's rapidly uh, climbing my power rankings of best teams in the entire NFL. I know we got a lot of Bronco fans. They want us to talk about Denver. I, I'm a Bronco fan as well, going way back. I love, you know, the Broncos are my AFC team and all that kind of stuff. There's just not a lot to talk about, man. They're going to play New England. They're going to lose, and they're going to lose big to the Patriots, I think. That that does presume that Cam Newton is back, which I believe he will be back. He was practicing earlier this week. I think he will be back in the saddle uh, after uh, uh, returning from COVID. So I like... I like New England in this spot a lot, and Denver is just decimated, man. I mean, this was this was a team that had a chance to be okay, right? Like the, the media, yeah. like eight and eight, 
maybe nine and seven was the highest end for Denver this year. And then everybody got hurt. And so this right now is just a bad football team, man. There's no two ways about it. And they got they got a ton of young talent and they can develop those guys. And I like watching, you know, I love watching Noah Font play. I, I love, you know, some of the receivers that they have. Jerry Judy, I think, is on his way to being an absolute world beater in this league. But he ain't there now. And no, none, no, nobody on this team really is. Melvin Gordon went to DUI earlier this week. I, I, I haven't heard definitively that he won't play, but I mean, you know, make of that what you will. There's not a lot to say about this game. I got the Patriots covering nine and a half points and probably winning this game by, you know, 28-7. Is that crazy? I don't think that's crazy. Drew Locke, this is from Vic Fangio. This is just uh, from a couple hours ago. Okay. He definitely could start Sunday as it looks now, but we're holding off on making that final. Okay. So it sounds like game time decision. And, uh, I mean, for them to do anything, I think they got to have them. No font, uh, no fans, excuse me, 50-50 to play, says Fangio. Okay. Uh, doubtful for A.J. Bouye. He could be a big addition for them because he's one of the best corners in the league. No doubt. But uh, the Patriots looked so weird last week because we've never seen a revolving door at quarterback for the mm-hmm. Patriots. I mean, in the Bill Belichick era, it's just been straight up. <laughs> TV 12 that's mm-hmm. it and uh, so it was a bizarre experience to watch that last week but I think that they'll come out reinvigorated and I think Cam Newton will have definitely something for the Broncos the the game that should have been the headliner which is not is the Los Angeles Rams in San Francisco but as we talked about where we're at with the 49ers right now this is so bizarre the, the Niners opened as a three-point favorite and now the Rams are a three-point favorite I don't know if this is a misprint or what the the, the LA Rams are there should be no question that they're going to win this game unless there's a bunch of guys coming back from San Francisco that I wasn't aware of, specifically Bosa. But um, I think that that is not the biggest matchup of the weekend. I think the biggest matchup of the weekend, as it turns out, is going to be the Green Bay Packers and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, you really like Green Bay. I do. I I also like Green Bay, but they until you play somebody – the fact that you're winning easily is to your credit, but you haven't proven anything yet. And I think Green Bay has shown that they are a very good football team. I'm not ready to put them into the category of Super Bowl contender. Um, a win against Tampa Bay, I think, probably would do that for me. I mean, if they went to 5-0 and and had a win against a team that I think is pretty good in, in Tampa Bay, I know well, that they lost last that? week. Well... They're here. I just found Tampa Bay underwhelming this year. I have two. Here's the thing. You know, they've been banged up. I mean, Chris Godwin not being there. Uh, Mike Evans is having a great year, but without Godwin, it makes their offense so much less diverse. Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski has been basically a non-factor. OJ, OJ Howard actually was very good. Like Tom, Tom Brady he was. figured out how he was going to be but the dude. And, and now he's out. He's yeah, and all three, I mean, all three of their running backs have been banged up. Mm-hmm. Ronald Jones, mm-hmm. Leonard Fournette, LaShawn McCoy have all been banged up. Defensively, Vita Vea going down, I think, is huge. I mean, he broke an ankle. He's out for the year. That That's a huge deal for them. I, I think that they have good personnel on defense, certainly. I, I just, they've left something to be desired. I mean, they lost to the Bears. So this is what I want to come back to. First of all, I mean, are they underwhelming or are they just everything that you just said? You know, I mean, you, you missing seven eight starters it, it's yeah. it's hard and there's a lot of teams that are hurt right now i mean that's mm-hmm. that's a fact so i'm not going to sit here and say that's true because i found them underwhelming as well they lost to the bears by one point 
I think that's a pretty inexcusable loss on the part of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It does happen, though. They're 3-2, and two, and coming off an, a, a loss that they look ugly, and now they have an opportunity to go against a team that if they beat, everybody's going to be right back on the Tampa Bay is one of the teams to beat in the NFC bandwagon. If they had beat Chicago, they'd be 4-1 and one coming into this game against a 4-0 and oh Green Bay team, and this would I think that people would find this to be a lot more even of a matchup. I agree with you. They've been underwhelming to me, but I feel like in watching Tom Brady play, that it's it's just a matter of time. Like he is he's he's just so so smart in in real time. Like I, I don't the being smart as a quarterback is one thing, okay? But being able to do it in the moment and even before the moment the way he has because he's had two decades of reps on how to do this is irreplaceable. And I think that it is a matter of time before this thing really starts clicking for Tampa Bay offensively. And like you said, they ha- the loss of Vita Vea is huge, but their defense is good enough to make this offense really hum uh, and, and make the team really hum as a result. So I think that Tampa Bay is good. Um and I think that this is going to be a really good football game. I think that a lot of people are on the Packers. They're only a one-point favorite in this game. Uh, I, I kind of like Tampa Bay in this spot because I, I still need Green Bay to show that they can do it against a team that's got that's got a, of the caliber that I think Tampa Bay is, even if they have been underwhelming. And maybe they'll underwhelm again and, and Green Bay will get them by 14. I mean, that's, that's entirely possible. I'm hoping for that, but I don't think, I don't think that's what we're going to see. The potential... A likely return of both Devontae Adams and Kenny Clark. Hmm. How much does that help the Packers? Oddly, well, not oddly enough, Kenny Clark's return it, it can't be overstated. Mm-hmm. It's it's the he he's outside of Aaron Rodgers, he's the most important single player on this football team because they're not good defensively against the run at all unless he's there. There's nobody else. They can rush the passer. Rush, rush the passer. They have a very good secondary, a very underrated secondary, in my opinion. But it doesn't matter if they're if you're giving up six to eight per, because Kenny Kenny Clark ain't playing football. When he's in there, it is an absolute game changer for this defense, and they're going to be much better defensively with him playing. Devontae Adams obviously is their very best weapon. But what have we seen without Devontae Adams? I don't know a hundred points a game, you know. But again, against bad teams. So to have those guys back, I mean, it's it's big time. And, and I think probably I picked Tampa Bay in our Make It Rainy podcast. Mm-hmm. Which a, is up now. A night to sleep on it, and I'd probably back on Green Bay, you know, against the spread. But I do think I do think there's real potential for this to be a really good game. And these are the type of games that I think Tom Brady gets up for. I mean, how many times he faced Aaron Rodgers in his career? Not very many, you know? Right. Not very many. I think he's pumped about this. He knows Aaron Rodgers is... Aaron Rodgers was the next generation of elite quarterback after him. And now, you know, he gets his shot. They both do. I think they relish a, an opportunity like this to be on the field with one another. It's interesting fold. I'll be interested to see how uh, Tom Brady responds, certainly. Last game I want to talk about here, Coulter, uh, just briefly, is Arizona-Dallas. Now, neither of these teams – Arizona is not as good as I thought that they were going to be. I still think they're – I still think they have the potential to, to – improve and still be decent this year um dallas has been so much worse than i thought that they were going to be and obviously now that it's andy dalton playing quarterback this is the odd part of this andy dalton 
is like an absolute godsend for the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, he this is a veteran quarterback who had some good years and I think still has a lot of good football left in him and was a victim of circumstance behind you and me as the offensive lineman in front of him the last couple of seasons in Cincy mm-hmm. as opposed to, oh, Andy Dalton's not the guy. Now, I'm not saying he ever was the guy, but he can play football and, and he is going to be um, – He's going to be just fine, I think, on the offensive side with the weapons that they have and Ezekiel Elliott and all that. But this team is horrific defensively, and I'm surprised at that. Now, I know they've been missing, you know, a couple of key defensive players. Yep, Van Der Esch has been out. Sean Lee has still hasn't played this year, and, and he's, you know, consistently hurt. But they they can't cover anybody. Awuzie hasn't been playing. Right. They can't get after they can't get a pass rush going, and they are behind in every game, man. They played the Giants, and they're down like seventeen to three against the Giants last week. I mean, that's that's crazy. So, I, I mean, I think the Cardinals, the Cardinals need to roll in this game. That's what I think. I think the, I think the Dow, I think Dallas can score 20, 27 points in this game. There's no way the Cardinals should score less than thirty points in this game and should push forty. If, if you really want me to think that you are what you are with a great young quarterback and what I think is probably the most talented wide receiver in football right now. Dallas has given up 39, 38, 49, and, and 34 points over the last four weeks. You you have to score five touchdowns against Dallas. Have to. Or, you're, you you know, it's just you just got to do it. And so it, it's ugly right now in Dallas, and I think this is a big – this is an this is an oddly big game for, for Arizona to – prove to themselves more than to us that they have a real look in the best division in football. <laughs> it's still, it, even if you have an electric quarterback like the Cardinals do, one, one of, if not the best receivers in the league in DeAndre Hopkins, fantasy football players don't win football games in the NFL. They, their lines are not, they, they leave something to be desired. They, they can't, they, it, when you're, when you're, Weakness is both definitive and obvious, and it happens to be that you cannot run the ball up the middle and you cannot stop the run up the middle. That's the worst case scenario you can be in in the NFL because yeah. it keeps it makes it so simple for the opposing teams. I just find it fascinating. Like Isaiah Simmons hasn't started a game yet this year. You use a top ten pick on the kid. Yeah, um, I mean Drake Kirkpatrick isn't starting for the Cardinals either. Chandler Jones is on IR. Like Jalen Thompson's on IR. They have multiple good players that or either out because of injury or not playing as much as a lot of people anticipated them playing. And then, you know, Kenyon Drake has not been up to billing as a running back. No. So I don't know. I, I, I'm pretty Luke warm, bordering on cold on the Cardinals. That said, it's impossible to, to pick anything for Dallas at this exact moment. Yeah. I just think take the over in this game. If yeah. you're betting it. Right. To tell new one is one of two ESPN radio or NFL picks there. Take a quick break on the other side. Dave, Guffey, 37 years, the SID, Sports Information Director at the University of Montana. He is the uh, subject of our most recent Grizz Greats episode. It is up now. You'll hear an excerpt from that conversation right after this. 
What are your business challenges for 2021? Supporting an increased remote workforce? Securing and managing your expanding corporate network? Communicating with your customers, employees, and partners? Whatever your challenges and priorities for 2021, Blackfoot Communications knows it all starts with a plan. We are here to help you assess, design, implement, and support your most critical technology infrastructure initiatives. Call Blackfoot at 866-541-5000 or email business at blackfoot.com to learn how we can set you up for success in 2021 and beyond. Blackfoot, connect to more. Grizz Grace, silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions is out now. And today, episode number eight. With Dave Guffey, it's Tutel Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. At Gus Tutel at 1029 ESPN at Skyline Sports MT. Those are your Twitter handles. Go check us out in the Twitterverse uh, if you are so inclined. We'll be happy to hang out with you there. Uh, Coulter, we uh, we got another episode of Grizz Greats up and Adam for the people. Grizz Greats is uh, brought to us in part by First Security Bank of Montana in 1993. When the Grizz football team was trying to host its first home playoff game, former First Security Bank president Bill Boucher spearheaded a group of local business owners to guarantee the bid for UM Athletics. That commitment from First Security Bank to UM Athletics has never wavered. Two years later, in 1995, the Montana Grizzlies turned that local optimism into national prominence when the Grizzlies won the Division I-AA National Championship. And 25 years later, First Security Bank is proud to sponsor Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, this 25-part podcast series commemorating that epic season. First Security Bank, a proud supporter of Grizzly Athletics and the University of Montana. This episode features Dave Guffey. And Coulter, Dave is the longest-tenured Montana Grizzly, Montana employee that we talk to in this series, and I, you might rank up there for all time, or 37 years from 1978 to 2015 as the SID. And you talk about it with him in this episode. I thought it was a very compelling conversation about how drastically a sports information director position has changed oh, man. from the late 70s to the early aughts and the, the 2010s. Uh, it, it's, it's, not, it's not just a variation. It's not just a, a progression or an evolution of a job. It's a whole different job. It's a completely different thing that he's up to. That said, the thread that was consistent all the way through is being at and covering and being the media ombudsman or the uh, you know the intermediary between the media and the athletic uh, figures at at, a, at in an athletic department, be they coaches, players, etc. And Dave Guffey was the only guy who had the position in 1978 and did it for a long, long time for all the sports. And by the time he left, there's four, three, four, five different SIDs who all had different sports that they were sort of uh, a part of. But Dave, football for 37 years. And what perspective? Because when he first took over, as the, the job was called, uh, I think, information services. Right. And when he first took over, Mike Montgomery has just taken over as the head men's basketball yeah. coach. This is a basketball school at the University of Montana. Gene yeah. Carlson was in his final years as the Grizz football coach, but there was no Washington Grizzly Stadium. So you're talking about Dave's 
high priority was on basketball because yep. you have this great run. Larry Kostowiak rises up. And football, you don't want to say it's an afterthought, but football was nowhere what it is now. And so he, you know, Gene Carlson moves on, then Larry Donovan, that whole era. So by the time Washington Grizzly Stadium is built and Don Reed is hired, Dave Guffey's already a veteran at his job. He's already had this job seven, eight years. Then by the time the 1995 National Championship season rolls around, when Dave Dickinson steps on the campus back in 92, Dave's now been at this job for 15 years. Then Dave Dickinson starts playing, and now all of a sudden it's 1995. Dave has been had this job for almost 20 years, so he has a 20-year history of that perspective. But then he is the sports information director for the entire great run on the other side, too. He He's only missed three football games in his entire life uh, since, since he came to Missoula, Montana. And it, it's absolutely incredible. So I would argue that while we've had a variety of awesome and varying um storytellers and great people on this podcast, this is the the most comprehensive perspective because it's yeah. not as if he's just there. He's the one given the stats. He's got the whole thing memorized. Yeah. He's got the 37 years of Grizz football history memorized. All the programs, the media guys, everything. Dave Guffey was the one writing those. So I would argue that this is actually, in terms of putting this thing into historical perspective, the absolute most pointed episode that we've recorded well here we go uh, a little uh snippet from you of their conversation with dave guffey from grizz greats the silver anniversary of the 1995 national champions dave i want to shift into uh to what is the don reed era and then of course what the point of this entire series is is that 95 team you've you have you know at that point, what, 18 years that you've been at the University yeah. of Montana yeah. going into the 95 season. And so you have seen s- several different coaches, first of all, come through the football hallways. And then Don Reed, who gets there, and, and the program's okay, but he's clearly building this thing. And then some guy named Dickinson shows up, and that seems to go pretty well. But you have a front row seat in in this to to see the building of the program and the interaction with coach reed with the players and so on could you sense in the in the the sort of early 90s and on the way through the the growth and the direction pointing up for that program well you know one really interesting aspect of don reed is i'm sure that you don't know this when gene carlson was let go harley lewis really wanted to hire don reed instead of larry donovan Don Reed was in in the hunt for the position initially, and then he pulled out. I don't know why. I've heard several rumors why. You know, he was still at Portland State at the time, and and uh, but for some reason Harley was really enamored with him, and then they hired Larry Donovan, who you know who, who had a background. He, he played football at Nebraska, was a coach at assistant coach at Kansas. Didn't have a lot of Montana connections, but then in in 1985, uh, Larry Donovan's last year, the Grizzly coaching staff was told to their faces, you win the last game. This is probably, I shouldn't t- say this, but this is what happened. You win the last game of the season, we'll give you one more year, we'll give you a year in the stadium. They go to NAU, they win 32-31, the Grizzlies, and they're fired the next day. Hmm. And and I get a call, then, hey, we got to announce this. And then, of course, Don Reed was hired. Now, the timing was perfect for him because of the stadium. And, of course... He never had a losing season in his 10 years. But to me, the, probably the biggest deal was 89, advancing to the semis, even though we got hammered at Georgia Southern and Statesboro. We're thinking, yeah, you know, we're there, but we're, we've got a ways to go. And then we get to 93, and that team was, I don't know, they were like, I don't know, 
13 and 1 or something. They lose to Delaware 49-48 in Washington Grizzly. Yeah. But that's the infamous Dickey South Dakota State game to open the season and and who he brings us back and we scored 35 unanswered points to beat them. I think it was 52-48 and I'm going wow, this guy is the real deal. And then 94 Dave gets hurt at Boise State and he doesn't play in the semis at Youngstown State. Ironically, Youngstown hosts Boise State and wins the national championship. We, we could have played Boise State again on a neutral. For 94, we could have won the whole thing, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah. That set the stage for 95, though. The the overlay between Harley Lewis and Larry Donovan into Don Reed is an interesting uh, mm-hmm. element of this, too, because a lot of people say that Larry Donovan had a lot of communication with Harley Lewis. He was kind of a two-headed monster in terms of the dream that was Washington Grizzly Stadium on campus. But then Larry Donovan never really got to ex- experience right. Washington Grizzly in its glory. But j- just that plan, what do you remember about when they were making the plan and maybe the positives? But there was a lot of pushback, too, early on in terms of putting the stadium on the campus. I, I'm, I'm not going to say that Larry w- wasn't part of, of getting that stadium done. Because he did have kind of kind of a relationship with Dennis Washington as well, mm-hmm. and and you know they had a great eighty one season, went seven and three, and their two of their losses by were by a point, they lost seven six to Weber and fourteen thirteen to Eastern, and that was a playoff team that could have been pretty good eighty two, they win the whole thing, go to the playoffs, but have to go to Idaho and get thumped. But uh, Larry had a couple good years and he was part of the deal. And, and uh, I think he kind of got the rug pulled out a little from him on that deal and didn't get an opportunity there and maybe deserved it. But he, he, he had that one winning season. And then, then 82, when they went to the playoffs, they were 6-6. Six and six. But, I mean, he had backed and then just went downhill from there. I think in 1985, the Grizzlies were, were like 1-7 and seven in the big sky. Then they hired Don. Okay, the other really interesting aspect, that year, 85, we, the Grizzlies had played Army in the Mirage Bowl in Tokyo. And and Army ran ran the the, uh, the option. And Larry Donovan and his staff were completely enamored by it. The, so the Grizzlies, this was 84, sorry. So 85, Montana runs the option. Wow. And then Don Reed gets there and like, they start throwing the ball. They, they set all sorts of passing records with the same quarterback, Brent Peace, right. who'd run the auction the year before <laughs> and then go six and four. And then, of course, I, you know, I, I think they've had one losing season since then. Yeah. S- something like that. Something crazy like that. The uh, There's so many confluence of events. The opening of the stadium, the hiring of this dynamic coach, the offense like you talked about. I mean, that was something I think excited Missoula oh, across yeah. the board. Yeah. But do you remember feeling it starting to build when Don took over and, and the stadium opens and then all of a sudden Pease has his great breakout and then it just starts this sort of build up to all these great quarterbacks coming to a, a head with Dave Dickinson? I, I really do. You could you could feel it. Of course, the stadium was was huge, even though I think the capacity Washington Grizz was 12-5 then. You know, if it was a good day, you could sit in the end zones on the grass because there were no seats there. They had three different expansions at Washington Grizzlies since then. But you, you know, the thing about Don was he was like, he was like your granddad or your best friend, and the players loved him. Players loved him, media loved him, I loved him, everybody loved him, and then he won too. Yeah, and and you know, didn't win dramatically that '89 season as I, I think that really started it going to Statesboro, even though we got thumped. Thinking, guy, you know, we're we're getting there, and then Dickinson 
one of my favorite Dave Dickinson stories is uh, Tommy Lee was our offensive coordinator, Hawaiian mm-hmm. dude who was a great recruiter and great coach. And he yells at me. I walk by him in the hallway in, in the, the Adam Center, and he goes, Dave, come here, I want, come here, look at this film. And Tommy had eye issues, so he always had sunglasses, even though it was dark. He's watching this game film this high school quarterback from Great Falls. He goes, I come here, I want you to watch this guy and tell me what you think. And I, I watch a few highlights of Dave Dickinson at, at uh, Great Falls High, and I'm going like, man, he's pretty damn good. He goes, you know, I think he's only like 5'10", but I really like him too. And and then, of course, the rest is history. He, he proved to be a genius. And the talent level it started to increase you know, but back then they did not run the football very much. They just threw the heck out of it and had great wide receivers. A lot of them are still in the record books and, and it worked. I don't know if it would work anymore, but uh, you go from running the option to throwing for 3,000 yards by Brent Peace and he had a, a wide receiver named Mike Rice out of Idaho who was, who was outstanding as well. But I, things looked up and if you were to tell me we'd win a national championship, you know, a few years later, I'd say, oh, man, I don't know if we can do that. Let's just win a big sky championship, you know. But it's interesting because in 93, you know, you have that the, the run to, you know, against Delaware, or the great epic game. And yeah. one of those somebody's somebody's going to win it. Somebody's not. Dickinson injured, can't play in the playoff run in, in you know the following year in '94. Yeah. But some, I mean, a lot of people said, "Hey, man, that '94 team was every bit as good as probably the '95 team won." It was. Uh, was there pressure in 1995? Like, hey, you know, like we've we've maybe been a victim of circumstance, or the ball didn't quite you know go our way, or whatever. But at some point, we gotta we gotta get this thing done. Or was it still, uh, you know? Hey, however, you know, if we can make it to the national tournament and 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 win a couple games, wouldn't that be great? Like, what was the mindset, if you remember, how the feeling around the team? I never felt that there was really any real pressure there. But what I what I do remember, and I wrote myself the notes that with well, that nineteen ninety five thing, because you know, I I think a lot of people it's been it's thirty five years ago. That's a long time ago, right? But people don't realize, you know, the, the Grizz the way they dominated in the playoffs there, and and then. To advance and host for the next round, they had one of the top seeds lost at home. So the Grizz, because of the, I think they were a fifth seed, because they were a fifth seed, they get to host again. Yeah, that happens again. Troy State, I think, was undefeated. They get beat again. So the Grizzlies get to host a semi for the first time in history and win that one. Seventy fourteen. Seven. By yeah. The way. <laughs> and, and, and the first two were both shutouts. Yeah. And the right. first time in FCS playoff history that team had back-to-back shutouts and yeah and then then they go to 95 but they have to go to Marshall at Marshall and uh which by the way is still the biggest crowd in FCS playoff history 32,106 because it was it was insane there was standing room only and it was intense and uh you know the Grizzlies just I think their defense was a little underrated that year to hold them to 20 but you know it took what was 39 seconds to go and Larson hit that field goal it wasn't like a it wasn't a gimme. No. But I never felt the pressure, even though we were so close to Grizzlies to winning, especially in, in ninety four, you know, going to Youngstown in the semis. Youngstown coached by Jim Tressel at the time was having huge success and moved on to Ohio State. But um yeah, I, I never felt the pressure. I Donna Reed would not let you feel the pressure. Dave Guffey, 
the uh, SID again for 37 years at the University of Montana with the 1995 season being right in the middle of his tenure, which lasted from 1978 to 2015. His episode, uh, episode eight of Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions is up now. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can go Google, Apple, Spotify, Transistor, whatever it is, however you, uh, you know, do the podcasting thing, you can do that. You can also just go to the website, which Coulter's built for you, grizzgreats.com. You go on there, you can listen to them all just right there on the player. If, uh, you know, if you're not doing the podcasting thing quite yet or whatever, you know, I get that. It's not everybody's into it. So uh, go ahead and check that out. Uh, however you'd like to, but this this series has been a, a ton of fun, and uh, our conversation with Dave in particular was was uh, outstanding and enlightening to me. Uh, so I enjoyed that very much, and our appreciation to him for swinging by and taking the time to do it. It was, uh, it was great to talk to. It's amazing the ebbs and flows of college football, particularly within the scope of the Cat-Grizz rivalry and how one or two decisions can have resonation for literally a generation or more. Yeah. Imagine if Montana wouldn't have gotten, wouldn't have parted ways with Larry Donovan, and Montana keeps running the option, mm-hmm. and Don Reed never comes, and Dave Nickinson never plays for the Grizzlies, and all the things that could have gone. But then you th- harken back to when Montana State won the 1984 national championship. What were they doing? A lot of run and shoot stuff that was kind of a precursor to what Don Reed did at the University of Montana. But then because of the anomalous nature of what that coaching staff went through, they they win one game, they win the national championship, they win two games, they get fired. Bill Didrick and the offensive coordinator there, he goes a different way. And then who does Montana State decide to hire? They were enamored with the option, too. They go get Earl Solomonson, who was the guru of North Dakota State's Division II dynasty in the 1980s. And it craters their program, and, and they it takes them 15 years. Yeah, It's just so funny, though, too, that the Cats win the 84 National Championship with this run-and-gun, high-flying offense, and the Grizz win in 1995 with a run-and-gun, high-flying offense. And then it... The pendulum swings the complete other way, and the 2000s then are dominated by what? Just Bobby Howe, ground and pound. Hammer and people. But yeah. Mike Kramer, there's some, I mean, Travis Lule was a very West Coast style, you know, get out on the edge, throw it, whatever. Yeah. But then the pendulum, swing, swing, swing. Yeah. Bobby Howe leaves. Robin Flugrad is hired. Mick Delaney's hired. <laughs> back and forth, back and forth. Bob Stitt, now Bobby Howe's back. It's just so amazing that you went from modern-day offenses to archaic offenses and it hurt you but then now it helps you and who's got it rolling more than anybody right now jeff choate what's he do runs the triple option out of the spread that's right so (laughs) it's amazing back to the future as choate likes to call it that's the evolution of offensive football but it's just so crazy like what if this decision doesn't happen everything goes differently uh well it did happen and the grizzlies won the national championship for the first time uh, wouldn't be the last time, but the first time in 1995. And so uh, this podcast series, 25 years later, dedicated to that. Hope you enjoy it. You can go listen to it. And Coulter, this uh, podcast series is brought to us in part by Blackfoot Communications. Blackfoot, back in 1995, there's a good chance when you called your friends, family, colleagues on the other side of town, you're calling using phone services and Blackfoot Communications. 25 years later, Blackfoot continues to keep our homes and businesses connected with state-of-the-art voice and internet services Anything you need for your at-home office, your 
at work office, a combination of both. You need a network built, any of that sort of stuff. Blackfoot is absolutely uh, exceptional at that sort of service. Blackfoot takes great pride in celebrating the indelible mark left by Montana's run to its first football national championship in 1995. And Blackfoot is excited to sponsor Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 national champions, a 25-part podcast series reliving that epic campaign, Blackfoot Communications, a longtime and proud sponsor of Grizz Athletics. Take a quick break. On the other side, baseball update, and we'll get you set for game four of the NLCS. The Dodgers, a huge win last night. Can they back it up with another next? What are your business challenges for 2021? Supporting an increased remote workforce? Securing and managing your expanding corporate network? Communicating with your customers, employees, and partners? Whatever your challenges and priorities for 2021, Blackfoot Communications knows it all starts with a plan. We are here to help you assess, design, implement, and support your most critical technology infrastructure initiatives. Call Blackfoot at 866-541-5000 or email business at blackfoot.com to learn how we can set you up for success in 2021 and beyond. Blackfoot, connect to more. The ALCS ongoing, bottom of the seventh inning. Houston still holding on to a one-run lead, 3-2 over the Tampa Bay Rays. One out in the bottom of the seventh. Throwing error allows a runner to reach for the Astros, who's on second. Uriel is uh, at the plate right now. Got one out there as they play in the seventh inning. Uh, quickly wanted to mention, uh, well, uh, we were listening to that piece with Dave Guffey, a texter uh, wrote in, talked about that Delaware game in there, uh, Coulter, and, and kind of what the, the back-and-forth game that that was. Uh, this texter writes in, last three minutes of the Grizz versus Delaware, there was an amazing amount of points scored. Tubby Raymond was the coach for the Blue Hens, and his running offense was full of fakes. I was in the 18th row on the east side and mm. could not tell which running back had the football. And that's that's it. Like it's one, you think guys get faked out because there's linemen in the way and there's this, that, and the other. But if you do it right, the fans got no idea. I mean, you've seen the, the cameraman go with the wrong guy. I mean, that's what you're talking about right there, right? Hey, speaking of evolution, man, it's just so funny because like Cal Pauly is so – known right now and it's, it's gonna go away now with with Bo Baldwin as the head coach of Cal Poly but they're so known for being so unique for running the triple option like at the FCS level it's like Cal Poly the Citadel and Wofford that's about it yes but you got to remember back in the early 90s Delaware was running a version of the triple mm. option Youngstown State had triple option elements Georgia Southern was one of the greatest triple option teams in the history of college football mm-hmm. and that Georgia Southern staff with Paul Johnson they went on to then implement it at Georgia Tech and had great success with that too and it's just so funny how it's all evolved away from that, but it hasn't because what almost everybody is running now with all this run pass option stuff and all this zone read stuff is the triple option totally. just out of the gun with a bunch of window dressing and pre-snap movement. It's amazing how everything evolves. You asked me what the evolution is next. I don't know because I really don't know how much more diverse you can get than what we have right now. Well, a conversation open for another day. But now we got to send the people to Arlington for game four of the NLCS. It is the uh, Braves and Dodgers. Boys and girls, he's back. Now look now. Clayton Kershaw on the mound for the L.A. Dodgers trying to get the season, this series back to even at two games apiece. Bryce Wilson going for the Atlanta Braves. Enjoy postseason baseball on ESPN Radio. And Walter and I will be back with you tomorrow for a Friday on Two Tell Have a wonderful night. See you then. 
Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia. When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org.